Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Fee-for-Service Dentist Podcast, Dr. Sonny Spirit. Today, our guest is Dr. Desiree Yazdin. It's a longer last name, but she goes by Dr. Yazdin. And we're going to talk about what it takes to run a dental practice as a mom. And then how do you reduce those hours yet maintain your income? So she went from working 13 hours a day to 13 hours a week and her income increased. She now has a, a mentorship program called Million Dollar Mentorship that she started in 2019 on, on when she had her first child. So really fascinating. And, and the lesson that I'm picking up is the power of intention, being intentional about what you do. And then the challenges of a female business owner working in a predominantly female industry. And how do you get professionalism back and how do you not as she quotes go into the drama really fascinating i love talking to her hopefully y'all pick up a bunch of stuff i know i did as always the podcast fee for service dentist podcast brought to you by kettenbach dental and they are very excited to announce the first major advancement in fluoride varnish treatments no longer alcohol or resin based Instead, patients will want the new treatment delivered by a muco-adhesive dimethicone gel, leaving a silky smooth, labricious feel. No more grit. Contact Kettenbach today. Ask about Prophacel and get more details and do the varnishes that patients will appreciate. Call 877-532-2123 or visit KettenbachUSA.com. As always, thanks for listening. We're getting the iTunes version merged. So right now there's two different versions of the same podcast. Um, the Spotify is working fine. YouTube is going to have all the video versions of these podcasts. And, and we're really thankful for our group at Rogue Media for helping us do that. But we're just working through a little glitch with Apple. We should have that fixed shortly. If you like the podcast, click like, share it with your friends. If you don't like it, well, heck, call me, text me. Hit me an email, sunnyspira at gmail.com or 607-624-2962. Love to hear your feedback. If you or any of your friends want to be a guest, contact me as well. Thank you all. Enjoy today. Have a good one. My name is Drew Burns, and I'm a part of a small group of dentists who believe something crazy. We believe that the standard of care is just not good enough. We demand the best of ourselves and the best for our patients. We believe that the best way, no, the only way to practice dentistry is on our own terms. If you ask the dental consultants or the corporate CEOs, they tell you that what we're doing isn't smart, that fee-for-service dentistry is dead, and that the golden age of dentistry is over. Yet, while others focus on profits first, we focus on the patient first. And yet, our offices are some of the most profitable in the entire country because we invest in ourselves and we are doing things right. It's our name on the door and it's our reputation on the line. My name is Drew Burns and I am a fee-for-service dentist. 
This is the Fee for Service Dentist Podcast, and these are our stories. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Fee for Service Dentist Podcast, Dr. Sonny Spira, and we have an old friend with us today, Dr. Desiree Yazdan. Her name is longer, but that's what she goes by, so we're going to keep it that way. Simple for me. Um, I'm going to give you a, a, a brief uh, background, so a brief intro. And you can find her podcast. We released it, um, I think, in December 2023. So um, Dr. Yaz is passionate about cosmetic dentistry and takes pride in offering the finest dental care, patient care services to each and every person. She's determined to give you the smile you've always desired. She had quite the experience of having braces three times and many terrifying you know, uh, personal dental experiences, which led her to go into dentistry. She completed research and publications on enamel development and received her master's in craniofacial biology and doctor of dental surgery from the University of Southern California. Expert training and professionalism had added and given helped her with a keen eye for beauty. I'm going to hit on that. At the Center for Restorative and Cosmetic Dentistry, Dr. Yazdan utilizes her expertise and passion to enhance your youth and create your smile transformation. She's also a certified coach and helps women doctors make more money while cutting back their work hours through the program called the Million Dollar Mentorship. It's a program she founded in 2019 after having her first child and going from working 12 to 13 hours a day to 13 hours a week. Let me repeat that. 13 hours a day, 13 hours a week. Yeah. So week, seven days. Okay. So you could do the math on that one. And doubling her revenue. So work less, earn more. Pretty good formula. Yeah. Now spends a lot of time helping doctors do the same. So your business should support your lifestyle. So please welcome Dr. Yes. And how are you doing today? I am good. How are you? Thanks for having me back. Great I to see you. you. Glad you're here. We were anxious to get rolling with this. So pretty excited about it. Uh, let's do a little brief recap, right? So um in our first in our first episode, we talked a little bit about where you came from, uh, Southern California gal, Orange County mostly. Stayed in that area. Brother went into medicine. You kind of weren't in love with medicine, so dentistry was your calling. Talk a little bit about just when you got into dentistry. What did you? What were you driven towards? Yeah. So I actually, I think I mentioned this last time, but I went to dental school to do oral surgery and like right away, I was like, oh, this is not for me. And so I was kind of like, okay, well, should I do ortho? Should I, I really liked endo. And I was, you know, I was just kind of looking for all the specialties. And, um, and then I decided after realizing, like, I really did not like oral surgery. I was like, okay, I do love the cosmetics. So, um, once I graduated, I didn't do a GPR or anything because I just knew I didn't want more training in the general dentistry aspect. I wanted to do cosmetics. So, um, that's what was really motivating to me is like to become a cosmetic dentist that did a lot of smile makeovers. Like that was my vision from, you know, early, like, you know, partway through dental school. And so I knew that, um, and a lot of people always ask me like, oh, what classes did you take? Like, what did you do to, you know, be able to do all this work? And I'm always like the words right out of my mouth. I was just going to, yeah. 
Talk so it's like the, my most common question from young dentists. And I always tell them like, it's not one class. Like I didn't take one class that was the Holy grail of all classes that taught me everything. It was like, I think it, it wasn't even the classes. Cause by the time I was taking the CE courses for them, um, I felt like I, not to be like, I know everything. Cause definitely I don't for sure. I don't, but I felt like I wasn't learning as much new stuff as I had anticipated in the courses. I was like, Oh, I'm already doing that. Or, Oh, like, that's great. Okay. I'm doing that, but now I could do it a little better. Right. And so I think it was just the drive of wanting to learn about it. So reading about it, studying other people's work and watching how they do it. I found a mentor that really I could go to with all the questions. And that person was able to like, you know, teach me about all these different cements and what to look for. And, you know, I started reading about facial structures more and how like, you know, what's considered beautiful, you know, all the proportions and all of that. And I think it was just my like eagerness to understand it and learn it that I was getting it from like everywhere. That's what I was spending my free time doing was like understanding all of those things. And then of course there were courses along the way. Um, but it wasn't just like one course, right. It was, it was combination of things. Did you take any continuums of any education? Any of the, you know, I don't know, Spear, Kois? You know what? Um, I didn't. And I I actually want to just because I haven't. And I think those programs are great. I'm very familiar with like a lot of things. And I actually think it was either, I think it was Spear. They had reached out to have me do some kind of workshop with them or something. And I was like, Oh my God, I feel so honored. Like what? That's crazy. But, um, I don't, yeah, I, I definitely will. Um, I think when my kids are a little bit older, cause it, you know, you have to travel for those and it's a little bit harder to do that. The reason that I didn't do it is because what I talked about the last episode early on in my career, I had that whole traumatic thing and not only, did I not have the means to travel and do those programs because they were expensive at the time for me? Um, but also it like, I think I was just in such a survival mode that I was like, I, like, I can't do that. I can't focus on my, that part of my education when I'm basically just like trying to stay above water. Mm -hmm. And so that's, and then when things calmed down for me, it was kind of like such a relief of like, Oh, okay, now I'm not in survival mode. And so I just wanted to like, enjoy that a little bit more. And then I had kids and then I was, you know, I had this anxiety about flying without them. So, um, that's the reason why it's not because, you know, I don't know. It's not because I don't think I need it or whatever. I just, I think. Well, when you finished dental school, talk about what were the first couple steps that you did? Did you go to work for as an associate? Did you did you, what, what was the first, first few things? That's a good question. I did, of course, work as an associate um, for about a year. Uh, however, I went to a lot of offices that I thought did a lot of cosmetic work and I would just drop off my resume. And then I never said like, for a lot of them, I didn't say, can I just come work for you? I just would be like, would you mind if I just come watch? You don't have to pay me. I won't be in the way. I just want to see what you do. And I just want to learn. And there well, were, a couple... but there's your, there's part of your CE really, if you think about totally. it, right? totally, yes. Yeah. And there was a couple that were like, oh, like 
because they were like, oh, I don't have a job position for you. But when I just approached it as like, I don't even want you to pay me. Like, I just want to spend my time learning from you. Right. These are doctors that had very successful practices for years and years and years. And so they just let me come into their office like once a week. And I would ask them questions like, why did you do that? Like, is there anything specific about the shape? What kind of porcelain did you use? Right. And then that just really helps you learn. And then, um, I think also having the mindset of not knowing everything, like being able to learn from everybody, right. Because then when I started to work with specific labs, I started asking them questions like, Oh, everything, right. Like it, you know, what do you, what would you do in this case? Or what would you, what kind of porcelain would you recommend? Why? And then I would go read up on it. I would go research it. Right. Cause they're the ones that are making it. And yes, they look to the doctor to prescribe the, you know, restoration and what type of porcelain and all the contours and stuff. But I was like, well, these people are making this all day long. They're the ones that are like kind of behind the scenes. Like, let me get some info from them. So I think it, that was, you know, you know, just being open to learning from everybody. So on an average month, just to give some of the, the I'd say some of the uh, newer to the profession dentists who are graduating or have graduated recently, you were working as an associate, would you say three days a week and then doing this two days a week or was it four and one? What, what, what was like your normal scheduling? It rotated. There was a point where I was in a different office six days a week like working as an associate, but then there was definitely, that wasn't at the beginning at the beginning was more of the shadowing. And there was like a small period of time where it was like six days a week. I was in a different office. Um, and then it kind of like, at some point I was like, okay, I don't want to work six days a week again. Right. And then I went back to like shadowing. So I would say probably two days a week. I would on average, I was like shadowing different dentists and then the rest of the time, like three to four days I was actually working as an associate. Okay. So if you worked four days as an associate, that that fifth day you would spend the day somewhere? I, I mean, yes. is that once a month, would you say? A couple times a month, just to give some... some no, like once a week. Once a week. So literally yeah. four times a month. You were... Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, that's like having a continuum, right? You're able to see the work started, the work in progress, the work finished. So there's continuity there, you know, it's yeah. not just a shot, one shot and you're like, Oh, and then you never see it finished, you know? Right. Yes. Okay. So, but you also talked about facial aesthetics, mm -hmm. right? You started to study that. So was that books? Was that videos? What, 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 what was your, uh, both actually, um, books, videos, um, like, you know, the university of YouTube. Right. And then you just take, I don't, you don't take everything you see and just apply it. Right. But it has to make sense to you. Right. And then, um, it's funny. I still have like a stack of books. I have to find them though, because they're, we've moved so many times, but, um, that are like my Holy grail books that I love. Right. And I would go to those and I would read up on them. And, and then I would look at pictures and, um, thankfully I was also exposed to a lot of cosmetic work right away. Cause I put myself in positions to be in places that did a lot of cosmetic treatment. And so mm -hmm. because I was exposed to it when I would do it, I would be like, I would go and ask the other doctors like, okay, so you saw this case I did. How would you have done it better? How would you have designed it differently? How would you have prepped it differently? Right? Like I would show them my preps and whatever, and they would tell me, and I would 
you know, also take that with a grain of salt, but as a learning experience, right? Because so wait, so wait, wait. So in the offices that you're essentially shadowing, right? Yeah. You would bring cases from your practice that you were working so at? One of them that I was shadowing was a practice I was working at, just one of them. So that one, and that was a lot of high volume of cosmetics, like high-end cosmetics. And so that one was a lot easier because throughout the day, like I would, I would actually go say like, could you look at my preps? Could you tell me what you think? Could you like, what do I do? There were times where like that doctor would kind of even assist me, like just to give me like some tips and here and there. Right. Um, and that I think was the best learning experience ever, but yeah, the other ones, um, I'd be like, oh, I did this case. Like, can you look at it? I wouldn't take the models. It would take pictures and I would be like, can you look at this? Or like, what would you have done differently or all of that? Right. Or I would ask them about their cases that I was shadowing and watching. Were you ever able to pick up the, I'll call it the consult, the diagnosis, the treatment plan presentation, you know, the, that, that interaction with the other doctors that you're following or shadowing, were you able to, were you privy to that kind of thing too? Cause I think that's where the rubber meets the road. You're right. Um, I didn't get as much experience with that until having my own. I saw yeah, a little bit of it, but it just seemed like I, I didn't, I didn't watch them fully sell the case. It was more like, here's what we're going to do next type of thing. And mm -hmm. like, I wasn't really in the consults as much as. Yeah. I was going to, like, I was going to ask you how that works because the dynamics of it are tricky, you know? Yeah. Like we have and a lot of college kids or future dental, you know, they have to do their shadowing or stuff or, you know, that they'll be in the office and they'll pop in. I'll be like, oh, this so-and-so is just watching us, blah, 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 blah. It's a little awkward in that scenario where you're kind of going into the who, what, where, why, when of, of, a, of a treatment plan. And that's where you really, you know, you absorb it. To me, I, I, I had someone the other day I spoke to and he said, uh, she said that um, the doctor would stand on the other side of the door and sort of listen to her present. And then he would give immediate feedback. Here's some things you need to stop talking at this point, pick up that. How did you learn some of those finer skills? Was it just on your own? Um, yeah, I mean, experience. And I started to study psychology of selling. So actually the reason that I didn't get as much experience in that portion of it was because um, I, I think I wasn't even aware that I need that experience as well. I was just so focused on learning how to do the treatment and learning how to do, you know, it's very different to cement one, two, rather than like 10 teeth. It's very different to prep one tooth on top and one on bottom versus doing a whole full mouth reconstruction, right? It, it's all very different. And so that was what I was really focused on. And I, I think I missed the opportunity. Like if I had gone back now, right. I'd be like, oh, for sure. You need to learn how to speak to patients and sell. So I didn't have that experience, um, as much as I wish I could have. And I, I feel like I had the opportunity. I just didn't focus on learning that. Um, and so, yeah, I, I learned from doing it myself and then reading about like selling and sales and understanding human psychology of like selling and all of that and applying it and changing, you know, so, and then, yeah. So, so your roadmap, right. Let's, let's see if we, if we can follow this. Cause I think I have a, I think I have a decent grasp on it. So your roadmap is I'm going to real, and, and this is 
to me, I did the same thing too. focus on your skills, make sure your skills are there, right? Learning the diagnosis portion of it, you know, and you're using a lot of different things. So it's almost like learn how to first. Yes. Then I think once you've invested so much of your time, energy and passion in a how to, now you have to get to the point where now, how do we deliver that to the patient? Like, how do we get the patient? So then your next step was to learn how to, well, sell it. Yeah. Right. So you went into that with the same kind of energy that you went into. How do you do the work? Now, yes. how do you communicate the work? What, yes, are, what are some like little tips that, that you think were really important that you use to this day? Yeah. So when you're presenting the treatment, you have to make the patient feel very safe. And also like your confidence behind it is very important. Right. So, and then the, I could actually watch myself in the beginning of my career, my thoughts about doing the treatment were like, what if I mess up? What if they don't like it? What if I don't do a good job? What if I'm cementing them and one doesn't go on? Right. What if one breaks when they go on? Right. I had all those like doubts in my head, like, I don't want this person to feel like I'm pushing them into this and then something goes wrong. And then now it's a whole disaster. Right. So, so what did that, what did that do to you then? Did it make you talk more when you present? What did those thoughts and feelings do to you as you were talking to the patient? Yeah. It brought a lot of doubt into the conversation and a lot of no's like, okay, I'll think about it. Right. And because yeah, I was like over talking and I was making sure I wasn't, I wasn't selling the treatment. I was like, well, if you want it, I can do it. You just have to let me know if you want it. Right. So I was like almost backing away from it because even though I wanted to do the case, I was like, oh, let's just like make sure, like if something goes wrong, right. And versus, I mean, now still we tell the patients, the risks, the pros, the cons, right. Like people ask me all the time, what is like, what is the biggest negative about doing this procedure? I'm like, it's irreversible. You can never go around with that. Right. So I still will say the same things. But the way that I present it now is so different and my confidence in it. Right. And even if something does go wrong, I'm like, okay, I can fix it. It's fixable. If one breaks when it goes in, that's just sometimes part of the process. Very rare. Right. Like it probably, I don't know, one a year, one every other year, but it happens. Right. And, and I could fix it. It's not the end of the world. Yeah. It's a little inconvenient for the patient, but it can happen. Right. Like I know how to manage them at that point or, um, and I think safety is a big important thing too, right? Because when I felt like the procedure was risky, I would present it as, well, this is a risk, right? And you're always taking risks in dentistry, right? Every time you touch a tooth, there's always a risk, right? But, you know, now when I present it, it's not like I, they, I can make them feel more safe about it, mm -hmm. right? Like if one falls off, right? I'm like, it can, but most of the time they last a very, very long time. My longest cases now have been almost 12 years, mm -hmm. right? And most of my cases have lasted that long and they still look good. They're still lasting, right? Like I have, it's the confidence behind it. So I think those two things are really important, the safety and being really certain. So it sounds also though, like because of the confidence, self-esteem part, right? That that now you're talking about a lot of nonverbal signals and such, yeah. right? Did, did, did uh, I, I found the one thing I did, I talked less mm -hmm. and I let silence at times be okay. 100%. And it's such an awkward thing when you first like, and you just stop and shut up. Like, you know, like, really? You don't yeah, want to explain want enamel to rock? Yeah. yeah. And you have to give them the opportunity to process and absorb and then respond to you. 
Yeah. True. It's very but, true. Uh, That's a very common. So and you're filled with all this information that you learned in dental school or you learn in your residency and you feel the need you got to express. It's almost like you got to regurgitate everything. Mm -hmm. The patient stopped hearing you at distal mm -hmm. because they have no idea what that is. So they just said, okay, just, just let, let them go. And then they'll circle back and, and the meat of the conversation, which you put maybe later, they just were dialed out or tuned out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What were and some common, uh, like what were some common objections that you had to learn to, uh, well, so it's right. interesting what you just said, because there was a point where I was like, I can't be more clear. Like, how could I even be more clear? So what was happening is patients were sold when they were in the room with me. And then when my office manager would go into book their treatment, they were like, they didn't even, it, what you said, it was just way over their head. And I was like, and then she would come into the office because I told her, Hey, if that happens, come into the office and tell me, like, I need to go back in the room. Right. And she was like, they, like, they have no idea what you're talking about. I'm like, I just spent 20 minutes talking to them about like this, these three things, like, how could they not? So I was like, I don't understand where there's like that gap. Like, I don't get what's happening because I can't be more clear. And obviously I have a problem explaining it because everyone is having the same reaction, not everyone, but you know, eight out of 10 people are not getting it. So there's something wrong with the way I communicate. So I would have her stand in the room with me. And I was really focused on seeing where the patient fell off. And I would see where she would interject as just kind of like a non-dental professional, right. And be start to explain things to the patient. Cause she could pick up on when the patient didn't get something and she made it feel more safe for the patient to ask more questions, right? Because patients with the doctor, they just kind of sit there, okay, okay, okay. But then as soon as there's like a an assistant or another staff member, they're like, okay, but you know, they feel like, okay, the doctor's gone. Let me ask this, right? So she was there. And then I started to see, oh, now I get it. The way I say this doesn't make sense to them. Um, so some of the objections that people had, um, are you talking about like for dentistry in general or like smile makeovers? It's it, it just pre treatment plan presentation. Right? Okay. Yeah. It was like, a lot of it was the objections were price, right? How long is it going to last? Do I really need it? Right. It was different if they're coming in because they want cosmetic treatment versus like, do I need these restorations or like, mm -hmm. you know, somebody with yeah, a different down conversation, teeth. right? Yeah. Right. Or like someone with severely worn down teeth. You know, like you actually need to increase your video. You need a full mouth reconstruction. They're like, do I really need it? My teeth have been like this for years, right? So like learning how to explain that to somebody in a way that actually converts into treatment was actually a fun process. Okay. So would you say, well, we'll, we'll keep going. I was going to ask you another question, but it just, it wasn't going to come out right. Okay. okay. So. Now this, this part of your practice, you're still working in, as an associate. What, what, what was your next path step? Like, um, oh, at this point, no, I was, I was a business owner. Right. Okay. Yeah. All right. So now what, what, what does that look like? Let's talk about that. So now you feel like, okay, I've got a little bit, I got some skills, got a little better communication style. Now, how do you focus your, make your practice focused on that type of patient or that per person that needs that type of work? 
How does that, what does that look like? So one was marketing Yeah. Um, on, so I, I don't know if you remember in our last episode, I was telling mm-hmm. you how you know, I had no funds to market or anything. So I turned to social media because I was like, well, everyone seems to be on Instagram. So yep. you just talk about my business and what I do. And so I just, all I posted about was veneers and cosmetic work, you know, Invisalign, whitening, like anything cosmetic related and in a cosmetic aspect, right? Even if it was like a composite filling, it was talking about it in a cosmetic aspect. Now, were you doing this yourself or was someone helping you with that? No, I was doing it all myself. All yourself. Okay. So you're learning trial by error. Yeah. Okay. So marketing that, and then just having the vision of like, I would really love to just fill my practice with cosmetic cases. Right. And there was like a period where I was like, okay, this is happening. I'm getting all the demand for the cosmetics, but I'm still having to do the smaller work because there's no one else to do it. Right. And so that was when I started being like, okay, now I have enough demand for an associate because I don't want to do the fillings or, you know, the one-off crown preps here and there. I want to do the cosmetic cases more of. So I think just having the vision really helps you execute all the things that you need to do in order to get yourself to where you want to be. Okay. So at what point, at what point are you looking at bringing that associate in? At what point would you, would you say, how long did that take? Yeah. So I, I really wanted one when I like before I had my first daughter, but it wasn't realistic because I was like very sick and I was trying to, I, what I was afraid of is leaving the practice and having the baby and then having all these problems because I had an associate that wasn't right for the practice. And I was like, that feels worse to me than just like, altogether, just leaving the practice and just being like, there's just no treatment for a while. So, um, as soon as I got back from having the first baby, I was like, okay, time to get an associate. Cause now I could put my energy into training somebody, making sure they're the right fit, training them how like they should be here. Right. Even if they have experience, they don't have experience here. Right. So mm-hmm. everybody's a whole different. So yeah. Okay. After the first so, so like 20, so it was two years in practice then? Oh, no, no, no. Um, we're talking 2020. So you're in practice. So I, for, uh, I, well, you were in your own practice, what, five years? Um, in my own practice um, since 2014. So six years. And then I'd been out since 2012. It was probably like six and a half-ish years. Six years. Okay. So it was a slow burn then? Fair slow to say. Burn. Okay. Yeah. Now, did, did you bring any associate right around the pandemic? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Isn't that funny to look back on now and say, oh, wow. And, uh, and, and it all worked out, right? Yes, it did. It, when, so, well, I had a couple to start. Right. But you had mentioned, though, I think in, your, in, your, in, in the intro was, you did, you had decided that you needed to make a change in terms of the hours and time you were spending, right? Yeah, that too. Did yes. that happen after the first child? Yeah. So that you actually happened right before I left to have the baby because I was working so much. And then I was like, I just can't do this anymore. This is just like so phys- physically working or doing all the business aspect stuff, which part? No, no, no. Physically working so Seriously. much. 
and being very pregnant. And I was like, I had gained so much weight in my pregnancy and just being so uncomfortable. And it's like, when you're pregnant there, you get to this point where your body is like physically telling you, you have to slow down, but I couldn't because my schedule was like packed until I was 38 and a half weeks pregnant with like all these big cases. I'd go from like prepping 10 teeth to seeding 10 teeth to like prepping eight teeth. It was like, it was crazy. And I had pregnancy arthritis and I remember like crying a lot and I was like, my body just can't take it anymore. And I, that was like when I decided I, I can't work this much anymore. There has to be okay. a change. It doesn't work for my life anymore. And okay. I just felt miserable. Like it wasn't worth the income. I, I was rather not. And then at some point I was like, well, why do I have to cut on the income? Like, I would, why can't I still make the same amount or more and work less? So that's like where that developed. Okay. Now just give, give uh, our listeners also a little bit more flavor. Did you have a hygienist, two hygienists? What would, what would, what did the team look like at that particular point? Yeah, so two hygienists, um, I have two front office people, um, and two assistants. So when you were talking about reducing were you was that a concern like what are you going to do um it was a concern more for i'm not as available to my patients who are used to me being available all the time mm -hmm. and also i had just completely stopped working on thursdays because i had no child care on thursdays and the problem was if somebody broke a tooth on wednesday afternoon and it was already full, like they don't have an ability to see me until Monday. And I just never felt like that was good service. And before, like I would, you know, I would even go in on weekends and all of that, but I didn't have childcare and it's different when you have a baby and you can't like, you know, it just mm -hmm. doesn't work to take the baby in the office most of the time. So, um, yeah, but that's, when you, but when you bring in the associate, does that change? The look of the practice like are you now open fridays are you open thursdays or what, what what happened there we're still not open fridays but we are open thursdays i i kept we were never open fridays so we've gotcha. always been monday through thursday i have somebody there on fridays answering phones and doing some like admin work right. but we don't actually like see patients on fridays unless it's for emergencies sometimes mm -hmm. um so yeah. I mean, it was nice to be able to give the service or at least, um, you know, I made sure that when I hired an associate, I hired someone that was flexible who could maybe come in a little bit in the evening or come in earlier as well. Cause my patients were used to me doing that. Mm -hmm. And I like to offer to be available to them. Right. I think of us as like a very boutique business. And so I want to offer that boutique service and it was just, you can't do it solo working less. So I was like, I could offer it by adding other doctors to the practice. So How did you handle the business aspect of the practice? Because the business with, even though you're not chair side doing the work and you have an associate and now your practice is growing from a revenue standpoint and every other standpoint, how did you handle the business responsibilities of an owner? Yeah. So you just schedule it when you're going to work on the business and what you're going to do and just very efficient with your time. Right. So I go in a little bit early, two days a week, and I work on the business stuff. And then I, you know, anything that's outstanding that I really need to do, um, that's going to take longer or be a bigger project. I just, I just put it in my calendar in little pieces and I give myself more time to get it done. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I'm just like, you know, maybe that's not important right now. Like I've, 
wanted to like remodel some areas of the office, but then I'm just like, you know, right now it's just not important because that's going to take away from what I'm doing. And I don't feel like remodeling is actually going to bring in more revenue. That's just like something nice for me to look at versus like, I don't think it's going to change. So, yeah. So how hard is it to stay disciplined to your commitment to that time for non-clinical dental parks? Um, yeah, it's really funny because, um, you have to set the boundary and be very strict with it. Cause what was happening for a long time is my staff noticed, oh, well, she's coming in let's she's say here. an hour early. Yeah. So they would book patients. They slide them in. <laughs> so I would have to say, yeah, like, oh, I'm not here to see patients. You have to act like I'm not here. I'm working on the business. And I had to explain to them so much, like, listen, you guys don't think this is important. Whatever I'm doing, they don't even know what I'm doing. Right. Like, but it's extremely important. That is how the business operates and functions. You can't just look at it as me seeing patients. Like it's a whole thing behind the scenes you guys don't even know about that's happening. And so like you cannot book people. And then after I've had this conversations for weeks and months and whatever, and they would still slide people in, I would tell them, you need to go tell them that you made a mistake and their appointment isn't an hour from now. Well, they're going to leave. I'm like, well, then they're going to leave. And then they're like, well, that's not good service. I'm like, but I didn't book them. So don't make me feel guilty about it. You need to feel guilty about it because I told you I don't start till this time, right? When I did that a few times, then they were like, oh, she's not going to see the patient. We're not going to book them, right? Because I, it was really sad because it's like at the detriment of the patient and the business, right? The business suffers from that. Mm -hmm. But I was looking at the long-term aspect of it of like, this is continuously a problem, right? So now they'll come and be like, I know you don't start for three more minutes, but, and I'm like, I like laugh inside because I'm like, they're so like, they just know now, but it's hard, but you really have to set that boundary and be strict with it. Otherwise what happens is you just end up seeing all the patients working more hours. Like there was a point where I was like, oh, I wonder if I could leave earlier and I could just come in earlier. So I was like, oh, well, I'll just come in at 6 a.m. and I'll leave earlier at like two. But what was happening is I was still, that's how the 12 to 13 hours came in. I would come in at six and then they would just still book me till six. And I was like, well, this is, now I'm working way too much. Like that's not the norm. Well, it's, it's like being a parent as well, right? So if you tell your kids, listen, you know, I want you to take the trash out. You say it once, they don't do anything. And you say it twice, they don't do anything. The third time you're saying it and you're loud, they do it. So then they're now teaching you, I won't listen to you until the third time you say something. Right. Or until you go to that, I'm going to count to three. Oh, okay, now they get up. And like, it's funny because my that, that my kids had my wife down to a science, a science. And I, I really just wasn't playing that. I would walk in and say, okay, I need your help. And they didn't move. And then I shut the TV off. I said, no more TV for the day. Oh, I said, I need your help. Nobody moved. So. They're like, oh my God. <laughs> like so, that means business. Yeah. Yeah. You have, yeah. Do you mean it or don't you mean it? Right. And, and then that's what it came down to. So the boundary was being pushed by your children, but as by your team until you said, nope, this boundary exists. And I, I think that's a hard discipline because in the back of your mind, like you said, I'm putting this patient out. It's not great service. I realize that. But you, you also said, don't make me feel guilty about it. That's something that you did. So take some accountability. And yeah. follow what I asked you to do, right? Yeah. 
Right. I'm like, like, I well, patient, right. Like you booked the patient. I had myself blocked out. So I'm not going to feel guilty for not seeing the patient, even though deep down, I always feel guilty, right. but I was but, like, I'm going to be stayed committed to what yeah. you're doing. That was important. So you taught them, no, this is important. You may yeah. not understand it. Like in your own words, you probably have no clue what I'm doing, but it's important. So now it's important to them. They get it. Yeah. That's cool. Okay. Yeah. So Let's talk, let's talk more about, cause that's a, that's a big part of what we want to cover today is that, okay, moving from 12, 13 hour days to 12, 13 hour in a, in a week. Right. And then you said your production doubled. Did you change some systems in your office? Did you do some things differently now that your schedule was different? How, how did that look now before and after? And plus with you know, hindsight now, how'd that look? Yeah. I mean, definitely changing the way we schedule, definitely taking those smaller treatments off my schedule and allowing more time for other things. Um, definitely changing the systems, right? So before cases would take me longer because we just did a lot more at that appointment where now we're just more organized before the appointment. So when they come in, the consents are pretty much already signed. All the pictures are already taken. Everything's already done. They're just ready to go. Like they're, they get in the chair, they're ready to go. So like, there's not an hour of fluff of stuff being done. Like we're just more efficient with it. So you um, streamlined that. Yeah. And just all the systems, right? Like, um, all the details matter, right? All the details being really organized behind the scenes. Um, but if you also, don't take the time on that business aspect part to do this, then this, this doesn't happen. Exactly. Right. And then also just like really always striving to give the best experience for the patients. Cause that has to also happen. Otherwise you don't keep getting repeat business. Right. And so just trying to make sure that we cater to people as much as we can. And even if we get somebody that's like, it's really much the mindset. And I think the dentist kind of runs the show because um, even if we get someone that's, let's say really picky and very high maintenance and hard to work with, if you, as the dentist start to get frustrated, your whole team will be annoyed with that patient. Right. And I'm always about like, no, let's serve them. Let's serve them. We're human. So like, yeah, we always get frustrated, but I will always tell my team, like, you know what, this person is just like, they just want to be catered to. So let's make this the most catered experience they ever have. Why not? Like, let's just challenge ourselves to really cater to them like hard, right? Like let's not be annoyed, right? And whenever I do that, I feel like they really turn around and it's like whatever the patient's saying, instead of them like eye rolling to me, right? From across the room, they're like, they're like, okay, like motivated to do it. And I love that because, you know, we should cater to them. They're paying a good penny and they want, they're coming here to get good high quality service. So why not just give it to them? Now, is most of your team female? All of my team is female okay. currently. I, I put it out there that way. Without right. the specialists, there's a couple of male specialists, but without oh. like, and I, I'm not opposed to having men in the office. I have had male. Well, no, doctors. no, I'm not going there. I just was going to ask okay. as a, as a, and I, and I, I'm going to probably get in trouble for saying this, but as a general rule, the point that you just made I don't know if people really got that. So you got the patient coming in, let's call it Mrs. Never Happy. Okay. okay. Or Mr. Yeah. Never Happy, whatever it is, right? Yeah. No matter what it is, there's always one more thing, one more thing, one more thing, whatever it is, right? 
and the eye roll part. I find that that's a very common thing that every now and then I fall in that silly trap and be like, oh, this is never happy's coming in today. And, you know, you just do that aspect and, and they get it and then they, they'll play off of that. They'll take that to the nth degree. And I, I think, and it's not a male-female issue, but I do think that as a female with females, that you're one of them, so to speak, that that they can do that. Um, do you find like, did you find that that was a, 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 an issue ever in your career? Like you had to then, you know, identify this and yeah, yeah like get past that. Cause that, that's a huge detriment, I think. Um, yeah. The, 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 the communication of this is okay. Right. That's what yeah. I'm and, and I, um, I watch it still happen with, because for example, I mean, my staff really, they're amazing and I respect them and they respect me, but there is that element of, oh, she's one of us, mm-hmm. which we are all the same, right? But like, we all have different roles, right? And so I watch like my male specialists, like say something, there's no questions asked, it's done. It's kind of like you walking in the room with your kids, right? Versus your wife, what you just explained, <laughs> right? Whereas for me, I'm like, hey, like, I almost feel like I have to be a little bit more masculine of like, okay, fine. Then this affects everybody's bonuses because nobody's doing it. Right. Like there has to be a consequence. Right. And it's like, I don't like to be that way. I'm like, let's just all do our job and everyone will get along. Right. But, um, there has to be a little bit of that separation because it is very much like, oh, she's just one of us. And, um, especially starting out, I was also on the younger side, right? So some of my employees were even older than me yeah. or they had more experience in dentistry than I did. They'd been in dentistry longer. And so, um, it was hard to learn how to lead. Yeah. That's what I was kind of, I wasn't really saying that, but I was kind of getting at Cause I find that like, we've had different docs in our practice too, as associates now partners, some, and there's a different chemistry with a female doc and a male doc with the team and there's assumptions that are made. And Mm -hmm. I I found, and it's all handled a little, each person handles it a little bit differently. Like we have a new doc now who's just dynamic and her style and her personality is great. But one of the things that try to convey to help her is yes, you know, there's a friend level, there's an acquaintance level, there's a professional level. You, you really want to try to keep some of those boundaries as clear as you can, because when you're going to want to ask for something, you don't want to be like, oh, you asked me kind of mean, do you don't like my hair? Like, what, what, what was that all about? Like, yeah. where's that coming from? Versus, yeah. no, I asked you for this. Please hand me this. Like, you know, I, I find that that's yeah. almost an unfair challenge. You have to stay out of the drama, right? So I yeah. think with women, they want... I don't know what it is, but they want to like, they want to get a reaction or they want to see some kind of drama or if something happens, they want to see your reaction. And I think after all these years, I've just become so like factual and I don't want to be in the drama. Right. So they bring something really dramatic to me and I'm like, it's not a big deal. I'll just do this. Mm -hmm. Right. And then because I don't have the reaction, like even just in December, um, we had somebody that accidentally broke a lot of equipment, very expensive equipment. And they were like, Oh, the doctor is going to be so upset. And this is so detrimental. And like, was I happy? No, like I'm still annoyed if you ask me about it. Right. 
but I didn't go in like, oh my God, I can't believe this happened. And this is so ridiculous. And now what? Look at this. We can't use this room because all this equipment, right? I'm just like, all right, well, let's get a new computer going. Like, can you call this person and find out how much the new sensor is? Like, right. It's very much like, all right, like, let's just be solution oriented and I'm not going to be in the drama. And then they would like one by one come in like, oh my God, like, are you upset? And I'm like, well, I'm not happy, but like, I mean, I guess this happens, but yeah, like this can't be the norm if this happens like that person's never working here anymore right so like you lose your job if if you break this much equipment on accident like it just you have to be careful right so i'm not but i'm not in the drama of like oh my god i'm so upset bothered me so much and like it's mm-hmm. so expensive it's just i stay out of that i'm like okay that's it is what it is like it's see how you just described that right that's so subtle but that can really have such a profound long-term effect just, just, just the the terminology. Oh, just you know, like just that, and you call it drama. Um, I think it's pretty descriptive, and I've seen it on both sides, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, I, I think that you can now, now you're creating a culture where it's okay to have that, not gossip, but close to it, you know, kind of like, you know, stuff. And and if you're business, and you're like you're talking about, you're you're talking as a business person, right? Yeah. Right. Uh-huh. So talk, let's talk a little bit. Of, let's get into that a little bit too, right? You talk about that mentorship. Yeah. I'll bring that back up. Million dollar mentorship. That's got to come up because you're dealing with, in that scenario, you're dealing with women and, and moms and, and babies and moving to the next step. That has to be a, a concern somewhere in there, that communication. Yeah. With the team? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yes. So are you asking if I like teach that in the program too (laughs) i'm asking you like leading into the next part of this you know equation is i would imagine that that's a that that's something that that's discussed or or brought up or people you know or or you can't really you can't put your finger on it but what's this and you know underlying that there's this there's this creation of this culture or drama that's either intentional or unintentional right yeah, so you have to be so intentional with everything you do in your business, right? And um, I'm learning more and more. Very, yeah, and I think just being really aware of what you're creating and what you're not creating. Like I always say, there there's a hotel by our home. It's called the Ritz Carlton. They're so detail oriented. No matter what you ask for, what you do, like the response you get from any staff member is always exceptional. Like the experience is always so amazing. And I always like say the Ritz Carlton didn't just get lucky and find whatever 500 employees or a thousand employees or however many they have that were just rock stars that is created, right? You create that from having a set of expectations, not just of what to do, not just behavioral, but also, uh, well, I guess, like I meant like work-wise, but also like behavioral expectations of what you expect people to behave like, right? So rolling your eyes, you know, in a room with a patient, sighing, you know, all the things that people are just doing because they're just normal, like they just naturally do it, right? You would never see somebody at the Ritz-Carlton rolling their eyes or sighing or whatever, like at least not, you would never see it as a customer. Mm -hmm. And um, regardless of what you ask for, regardless of what you say, like, to them or whatever they they are just above and beyond and so i'm always thinking about them i really wish i could get into one of their trainings just to be like how is this done but 
you know, just being very aware of everything and then telling people what you expect of them and then holding them accountable to that is really important. And I think that's the hardest part for women is holding people accountable because we don't want to be like their mom, like pointing fingers and giving consequences. Like everybody that always talks to me about this is like, but what is the consequence? Like, I can't lose my employee. I'm scared that they're going to get mad and leave. I'm like, well, then they might, right? But that's not like, there are other solutions. There are other ways of discussing it. Not every conversation has to be confrontational just because you feel like it is. Like, it could just be a conversation. So how do you handle, let's say, let's say I'm a, I'm, I'm one of the, one of the, one of the docs that you're going to help mentor in this, in this million dollar program. Right. Mm -hmm. And I dread those conversations. I dread. Like everyone. Like, yeah. Right. The, the, we'll call them confrontations or you're consistently late. You come in every time you come in, you're 10, 15, 20 minutes late. Always a great reason, of course. Right. How, how, and, and I'm like, I just want to do the dentistry you know, et cetera. How, how do you handle that type of person? Yeah. So I just, we kind of go over like what they're going to say and why they're going to say it and how to not make it confrontational. Like a lot of times I'm like, just, you know, you have to have the mindset of like, you guys are on the same side of the table and the problem is on the other side. So you and this assistant who's always late or whoever. Say that, say that one more time. Say, you're on the that same was, that side. That was of powerful. The yeah. So like you and the assistant are on the same side of the table the lateness is on the other side, right? So how are you going to conquer that together? That's one aspect of it. And the way that you present it has to be from that standpoint, but also like you have to hold people to stand a standard and it's very uncomfortable and you just have to be okay with being uncomfortable. Like you have to get used to being uncomfortable because the next version of you that has this million dollar, multi-million dollar practice has these difficult conversations. You can't have an office that's making two, three, four million dollars and have staff that's not holding it because you can't do everything yourself. You have to have staff. Like you can't have, for example, the Ritz Carlson can't have one employee doing all the things. And that's what happens in dentistry. Like I think of, you know, if you have that at a hotel, it's like this person's the bell desk, they're the concierge, they're like, you know, room service they're all the things housekeeping right that's not possible so you so that's the doctor that i'll just do it myself right? yeah yeah or like this person's always late it's okay well we don't want to lose them so we'll just pick up the slack until they get here right or whatever this person's they're never prepared the tray's never prepared properly mm -hmm. so it's okay I'll, i don't want to have this conversation right but you can't get to the next level when you're always doing everything yourself you have to have people that are reliable. And I also think when you present it in a specific way, I teach them how to present it. So it's like, I'm just, I'm also helping you do a good job mm -hmm. and your job position so that you can advance as the practice grows. You can grow the practice. You can make more money. You could benefit from all the growth that happens, mm -hmm. right? It's not just do more, do more, do more. It's like, you're growing in your position. You're making yourself more of an asset to the company. So what, what's your advice to that doctor who's overwhelmed, right? Take okay. yourself back with 12 hour days, right? Similar, mm -hmm. but maybe, maybe they're not as organized. Maybe they're not as disciplined on certain things and uh, they're overwhelmed with all this. And now they have, they got a child, right? Cause that's part of the, the program or, or, or just wanting to back up and 
keep their practice going and they need to start to do what we talked about earlier, the discipline of the business aspects. How do you coach that person to develop those habits and that discipline to help their business and help their personal life? Yeah. So, I mean, all these things were, that's why I work with people for like a minimum of six months because all these things have been built over years, right? This is Mm -hmm. like the habits that they have. Right. They're not fixed in two conversations. Exactly. Right. And you have to unravel them kind of one by one and then help them become very aware of what they're doing, why they're doing it, what they want to be doing. It's like people who are like, Oh, like in my perfect life, like I really want to stretch more and exercise more. Like that is, they say that's their priority but they're never exercising. If you look at their day-to-day, they're never exercising. It's like, okay, but how is that your priority if you're never doing it, right? right? So then they say like, oh, I want to make more money. I want my team to listen. I want this, but like, you're never having meetings with people. You're never, so how bad do you actually want it, right? And then also like, nobody wants to be uncomfortable. And I think for dentistry, like as the dentist, you're already uncomfortable all the time. You're always catering to people, like you're just uncomfortable. And so to be more uncomfortable now emotionally with your team, it's a lot, but you, the more you do it, the more used to it you get and you start to see how much your practice benefits from it and how much the employees benefit from a little bit more structure and a lot, you know, more conversation and all of that. And even if you lose people along the way, right, it's fine. You get more people that are more bought into the vision and understand how you need them to work. And when you see it start to develop into like the practice that you're imagining you're like oh like it's more motivating to keep going well especially if your core now is so much stronger right Right. so meaning you as a leader as a visionary as you know as the central component are so much more committed and and dialed in you're going to lose some of the fringe potential and hopefully the people that do come in are going to be more aligned with where you are now not where you were because you're growing yeah. And that's then where the you are, it's where you want to be. You. Right. You know, those people are amazing. Yeah. It's where you want to be, right? Not where yeah. you're right. Yeah. That's, that's fascinating. Okay. So a couple more questions on this, because I, I think I, I find this doesn't, it, it's just, this is just one subset. This could, this could be a, applicable to anyone. It doesn't have to be a, you know, male, female. Um, it's just a dentist or business owner who's overwhelmed. Right. And and don't know kind of where to start. But it was interesting to hear you kind of you, you got to break it down. You got to get to kind of the core and then you got to find the authenticity of it. Like you said, you really want to work out or are you just saying that to make yourself feel better on paper. Right. So what are what's like one or two of the biggest challenges that you find um, in in this arena that you're that you're working in? Um, with the coaching. Yeah. Yeah. The biggest challenge is, um, I think people lose the fact that there's possibility out there. Like they think that everybody else who's whatever, supposedly having a very successful practice, that they have a secret that they don't have. Like they, they figured out some formula that's not available. You mean like that one course that teaches you everything? Yes. Yeah. That one magic pixie ducks is my favorite term. Anyway, yeah. But- and I think they start to lose hope and 
um, I think that's the part that I find the hardest because that makes me sad. And, and specifically with women, because like they, we're already not looked down upon, but we're already like, people have literally told me, Oh, it's so cute. You have your own practice. Like they think of it as like cute. And I'm like, no, I'm like a really amazing businesswoman actually. Like maybe you could learn a thing or two. Right. But the demeanor, like when you, you, you have to work so much harder to prove yourself and because I it is that. a dominant career. And also it's not just to uh, your colleagues, it's to your staff, it's to your patients, it's to everybody, right? Like it's just the way it is. And so when women give it a go and they really put all their eggs in that basket and they really try and they're taking away time from their kids and their family and all of that to like go for this dream and then they lose the hope and then they just like are so upset because like, I just like, I've tried this for so long and it doesn't work. And I like, I just think I have to like, let go of the stream. And I'm like, no, it's, you don't have to, like, we can switch it around. And like, you just have to be committed to the process. That's it. That's all you have to do is be committed to the process. Just give it a go for six months. Right. And actually it is the saddest part, but then seeing them change the ones that do say yes. And they're willing to make the change. Like they do actually change things around. I think, I guess the hardest is when they don't believe in themselves enough to like get help, mm -hmm. whether it's from me or anybody, right. They, they're just like, I just, they just kind of give up. And I think that's sad because they're so capable. Well, change is scary, right? I mean, just, to, totally. just the idea of change. And you're talking about some of these changes are core changes. Totally. And, and I think they're, that's probably the hardest change to have a person make is yes. core behavioral, you know, or, you know, depth of change you know yeah. yeah yeah at the center and i i think like with uh, with employees too if you have someone who has a behavior that's innate in them and you're like this is an unacceptable behavior yeah. you know you can deal with the ramifications of it and then you can talk about but if the person doesn't get to that core to make changes it's just not going to work and it's yeah. one of the hardest things you got to deal with yeah so I, I do. I've, I've met and I, I get it because it's it's almost unwritten, but some of the strongest female um, uh, business owners, uh, for example, the basketball conference, the Big East has a, has a female commissioner, Val Ackerman. She is off the charts. Unbelievable. She is so intentional and so crystal clear with how she talks and how she leads. I mean, it's just she just blows me away every time we have a conversation. It's amazing. And I, I think, and I think you've kind of said that, that there's, you know, it's almost like a little, it's harder. It's a, it's a female dental field in terms of pretty much 90% of the auxiliary team tends to be female. And then the old dental model was it the old man working with the young ladies. That's what it was. And now you've got, you know, a different di dichotomy where you have over 50% of graduating classes are more female. You're having more female step into leadership roles and the challenge of they don't want to be called the B word, right? Yes. But they do have to be the other B word, the boss. Yeah. And th there's a way to do it. And I, 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 I'm super happy for you. And I think you would be a tremendous asset in this and in what you're doing. I think anybody crazy not to have a conversation with you. You know, I think it's also hard for women, all the pressures, like, especially when they get into motherhood, right? Well, you gotta be super mom. That'd be super everything. That'd be super mom. And like, how could you work when you have little kids? Like, I can't believe you're leaving your kids to go to work or the other side is like, yes. oh, why did you go to all this schooling and you're not even working right there? 
no matter what you do, like in society, you cannot win. And then I think just standing in your own truth and just being like, this is just what I'm doing. And this is who I am. And you could keep saying, I mean, everybody's human at the end of the day, somewhere somebody gets in and it like breaks your heart a little bit here and there. Right. But just not letting that take over is really important. And I think it's, it's sad, but it, like when that happens, but you know, there are ways. You nailed it. I mean, I have two young, two, two, well, they're young girls compared to, you know, two, two daughters that are 27 and 32 and, and they they face and they see these, these things right in front of them. One's in the corporate world. The other one's on her own, her own little business with like being a comedian and, uh, and, you know, running and dealing with that. And she talks about it all the time about the stereotypes and, you know, overcoming it. And I think what you said was really just now is so important that no matter what, and then if you're successful, Oh, what did you do? Uh, why are you not this? And why are you not that? I don't really get those questions. You know, right. yes. no one's ever asked me that. No one's even ever assumed that. Like, how can, you know, like, you know right? it must be because this person helped her or this person, right? Like yeah. if you are successful, you never did it on your own, right? Mm -hmm. Which nobody ever hundred percent does it on their own. If you think about it, you have family that supports you through dental school, emotionally, maybe financially, whatever it is, but it's like, they start to attribute your success. Oh, she got lucky. Oh, it's because she marketed in this one thing. And then that blew her up. <laughs> oh, it's, and it's like, well, why don't you just use that person as an example of what's possible for you instead of like trying to pinpoint everything and picking them apart. Like it's not the, again, it's not the one thing that made them successful. It wasn't the one advertisement mm -hmm. they did or the, you know, whatever. Right. And I think, um, that's really important to notice as well. Well, they got to be comfortable in their own skin, right? Because it could be very superficial. Oh, but well, look at her, look at what she looks like, or look at you yeah, know, that's these that. dashing, dashing good looks. And yeah. no, wait a second. Yeah. It's she's trials. On pretty and of course people come to her right yeah. no but that person's actually understands how to market right mm -hmm. yeah. but you've also there's substance you you know you talked about how many people are willing to do what you did right how many people are willing to pay the price make the sacrifice to, you know what are you willing to give for what are you willing to get everybody wants to get it not yeah. many people are willing to give yeah and, and they forget they don't know what your road to, to, to your success has been. Well, and nobody, everyone's road. They right? just assume that you, you know, you, you, you know, sunshine and rainbows your whole life and everything just works out for you. Like I, you know, I talked to one fellow recently and it was funny. He said, you know, things just seem to work out for me. I said, no, they don't. You just don't let those three, you know, like he said, he was denied for his loan three times, right? He was a startup practice three times. He was denied. I said, most people after the first or second, they're done. Yeah. Right. You kept going. You didn't stop. And so it didn't happen for you. You helped facilitate that. Right. So yeah. people just think, well, you know, you know, he, he just steps in a bucket of crap and comes out smelling like a rose. Yeah. Never that simple. Totally. Never that simple. I love yeah. it. Yeah. Great stuff. All yeah. right. Last <laughs> final thoughts. Your chance to pass on any words of wisdom you'd like to, to any of the docs listening. What are some things that you really want to make sure that you convey? Um, this is a little like woo woo, but I really think that if you have a dream, it's like in your heart, like that means that you can have that happen for you. You just have to be dedicated to holding on to that dream and trying to make it happen. I think that's um, one of the most 
I don't know. That's like kind of what I've proven to myself in my life. Like I would have these like little voices in my head of like, what if you could do this? And and I would always be like, there's probably, it probably can happen, but it's not likely. Right. And, um, when you, when you hold on to those and you try, you see it, like you do have, you can have those things. I think it's really beautiful. So I think if you have a dream, listen to it, mm-hmm. make it happen, whatever that dream is. Yep. And if it requires change, it's a lot easier when you know what that dream is. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Great yeah. stuff. As always, I could talk to you all day. Um, appreciate it. Thanks for getting up early. Your coach, yeah. your weather's probably beautiful. I think it's about eight degrees over here, but it's nice. It's raining. It's nice. Yeah. It's still like, you know, it's still nice. <laughs> it never rains in Southern California. Did you ever hear that song? uh yes it does it rained yesterday (laughs) well appreciate you if people want to reach you you will have your contact information on our show notes as before thank you again very much much appreciate you thank you thanks for listening to the fee for service dentist podcast if you would like to share your fee for service story please fill out our contact form at ffsdentistry.com also Be sure to join our fee-for-service dentistry Facebook group. For help starting your dental membership plan, visit dentalmembershipdirect.com and membershipmastercourse.com. Finally, for help with in-house financing, visit dentalfinancingdirect.com. And don't forget, your story is what you make of it. This is your name on the door and your reputation on the line. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time. This has been a Rogue Media Network production.